Reading this morning from Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. This is the Gospel of Christ. Uh, Thank you, John. Good morning, everyone. It's very nice to see you for the first service in uh, 2019. Welcome to St. Stephen's. It's great to be able to add my welcome to uh, James's. And another thing I can add to James's is he spoke before about the Equip Conference going on this week. Uh, Many of us will be going out there either for the week or for the evening session, so do please come along and join us if you want to. Uh, Often our evenings are a little bit quieter at the beginning of January. Uh, 7.30 at Kaipoi High School, and Paul Dale's the one who's preaching in the evening. Some of us will know Paul from um, Men's Conference or Equip the past. He's a great preacher and James is one of those books that's a tricky book so it's always good to uh, look at. So if you've got any time to come and join us out there please do. Let me uh, pray and then we'll think about the parable that John just read to us. Heavenly Father as we gather together this morning as the year lies out before us and as I'm sure present circumstances uh, impact our hearts and minds I pray that this morning you just give us a this brief time to, to set all that aside and to think about, reflect upon what you have to teach us through your word. Help us hear the truths of this parable that the Lord Jesus spoke so long ago. And although he spoke it at a very different time and context, it still has such relevance and truth for us today. Father, by your spirit, help us see that and help us live in the light of it. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, I always like these um, services in in January because we've got a lot of our people away. And uh, not because, sorry... (laughs) Not, not because we've got a lot of our people away, but because there's a lot of our people away. There's less of us here, which means afterwards we can. Uh, the fellowship time is uh, often more fruitful. Sometimes on a Sunday when we're packed in here, you look around, you don't know where to start or who to speak to, but there's less. And we've often got a lot of visitors. If you're a visitor this morning, as James said, we're very pleased to have you with us. Please do stay afterwards so we can chat to you and uh, get to know you. And we can do things in these services in January a little bit different than we Uh, do regularly during the rest of the year. Over the last few years we've had a summer psalms series where we've paused in January to look at a few of the psalms and uh, we've done that for a number of years. It's a series I've really enjoyed but we have done it for quite a while. There's always the possibility of getting a, a bit stale and so this year we decided we'd change things up for a bit. And uh, I think it was James who chose the idea of doing a summer parables series. So that's what we're going to do in these uh, Sundays over January. Look at a different parable of our Lord Jesus and think about the truths that he was getting across to people on each of the Sundays. And we begin with a parable that uh, actually some of us here looked at a couple of years ago, back in 2016. 
during a series in Luke's Gospel, but it's one of those parables it's always good for us to think afresh about and to see again. <clears throat> when we look back at it, uh, I look back over my notes and I had a, an opening illustration from Indiana Jones. And uh, I've, I've changed things quite a bit in, in my own thinking and, and work on this parable, but I've racked my brains about a better, better illustration, but I shouldn't, I shouldn't afford it. You can't beat Indiana Jones. Therefore, think of this. In the third Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, thank you, Indiana Jones fans, <coughs> during the final climactic scene, you'll, and all of you will know it, uh, there's a female lead called Elsa, and the whole movie's about what? The Holy Grail, the cup that our Lord Jesus used at the Last Supper. And Elsa, the female lead, has the Holy Grail, and they're leading, leaving the caverns, because they've, they've found it in the caverns, and they're leading, leaving the caverns, when everything starts to shake and bang and the earth splits and opens up. It's very different watching this movie post-earthquake. I've got to say, that's just by the by. Now, both the Grail and Elsa fall into the ground that's opening up. As this chasm kind of opens up, they both fall down it. And Indy dives because he's a hero. That's what he does. And he dives kind of outstretched arms and he grabs Elsa with both hands and he's the only thing preventing her from falling to her death. When all of a sudden, you're thinking, well, good old Indy's got her. He's going to pull her up and save the day. All of a sudden... Elsa spies the grail that she was holding, but she dropped as she was falling. She spies it on a little ledge not too far from her. And overcome at the prospect of still being able to get this incredible treasure, she pulls one hand out of Indy's grasp, and she reaches out for the holy grail. As she reaches her other hand out, the one that's in Indy's grasp begins to slip. What makes it even worse is, for some reason, she's wearing gloves. And so it starts to slip out of the, the glove. And there's no way she can't realise the, the grasp is slipping. She's literally got one hand clinging to life and the other hand reaching at full stretch for treasure. And the obvious conclusion you're left with here is that she's so greedy at this point, so consumed by a desire to possess this priceless artefact, she's willing to risk anything. And the tragedy is... She does. She slips out of the glove. She slips out of Indy's grasp. Not even Indy can save her. She plunges into the chasm where it's hidden by mist, but it's obvious that she falls to her death. And I think that most of us see that scene and think, well, how silly. Silly, silly Elsa. She let her greed get the, the best of her. She put material things above her own life. She, she dies as a result. And we think those things safe in the knowledge that we would never make a decision like that. We would never do such a foolish thing. Only silly, silly Elsa would do something like that. And we do it, I think, because, well, it's a movie situation with a holy grail and a chasm opening up, and we, do, and we, we think it because we would always choose life over money and we would always put the important things first and, and because we're not greedy. Well, Jesus tells a parable in our passages today that suggests that the only difference between most of us and Elsa is the Holy Grail and the literal scene that's going on in the movie. He suggests that actually we're in a very similar position to Elsa. And many of us, the tragedy is that many of us, perhaps most of us in this world, make the same decision that she did. But most of us wouldn't even realise we're doing it. Most of us, if it was pointed out to us, would deny that we do it. Most of us, when we think about things like greed and materialism, look at others and think, well, they're making some bad decisions, but we never really uh, think of it of ourselves. 
Uh, this is still true. I am yet to meet the person who comes into my office to confess their sin of greed or materialism to me. After all the years of ministry I've been doing. I've had lots of people come into the offices, confess certain things. We've prayed about it, talked about it. I'm yet to meet the person who's come in and confessed, Jay, I've got the sin of greed. I struggle with greed and materialism. Not one person has done it. And yet Jesus talks more about the danger of money and greed and materialism than almost anything else in his ministry. So either he wasn't very good at picking the problem and nailing it, or things have radically changed within 2,000 years in our context here and none of us would be taken by greed and materialism today, or else he knows our hearts and our problems better than we admit. When it comes to greed with money and possessions... We're usually harsh on other people, but full of reasonableness and justifications and extenuating circumstances for ourselves and our own situations. Hardly any of us think we've got a problem in this area. Well, Jesus thinks we may. Jesus thinks it's a problem, and I'd suggest we listen to him. It seems pretty clear, doesn't it, that the way we use money and possessions reveals a lot about our heart and our priorities and certainly our love for the Lord. So it's always worth being challenged in this area, regularly, because it's one of those things where you can, you can have it right at one period in your life and, and then start veering off or drifting away in others. And it's a hard one to pick. Are we greedy? Very hard to answer that question concretely because it's a heart issue. Heart issues are always the hardest to spot and to recognise and to understand. So sexual immorality is pretty easy to spot, isn't it? Because you're doing something, you're involved in something, it's black or white. Greed is very grey. The heart, how do we judge it? So let's have a look at this parable and remember uh, the context for the parables that Jesus told are often very important in understanding the point. And what's the context of our parable here? Jesus has been speaking to his disciples in the midst of a huge crowd. And in verse 13, we see that some guy, we don't know this gentleman, but he, he's in the crowd and he says to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That's all we get. Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, there may have been some specifically cultural things going on at play here. Uh, often back then, the eldest sibling used to receive all the inheritance and then distribute it as they saw fit. That's a system we should bring back. <laughs> Hands up if you agree with me. All the eldest, if, yeah. But it's one, as you can imagine, that's slightly open to abuse. And that may have happened here. This guy may have had an older sibling who had kept all the inheritance and wasn't dishing it out. Uh, or it could have been uh, another form of unfair distribution that had gone on. But even if there are cultural things specific to the time, nearly everyone in this room gets this scene, right? We understand what it's like when there's an injustice done. We understand the pain involved when specifically there are inheritances not shared the right way. Uh, I've said it before, but it's true. Remember the old saying, where there's a will, there's a family. That's true. And some of you won't be laughing at that because some of you will know the pain of that kind of situation. It's real. And it's, uh, betrayal, betrayal by people you don't care about is not nice. But betrayal by loved ones and family and close people is very, very painful. And it can, be, it can be very hard to get over and relationships gone and pain and heartbreak and all those sorts of things. And even in strong families, this kind of situ situation can crop up. And it can crop up because of exactly what Jesus is talking about in this parable. Incredible how many families can be divided over these kind of things, which proves the parable. But we'll see that as we go through. 
<coughs> anyway, Jesus makes clear that he wants no part of being made judge and jury in this particular matter. He says, verse 14, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? There's a lot in those uh, verses, because he says man as if he's speaking to all of humankind, and we know that one day he will be the judge. But in this particular situation, he says, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? And then he gives the summary statement that the rest of the verses, the parable, will flow out of. Verse 15, he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed... A person's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, just in that response, Jesus makes clear that the main problem with this man, whether there was a lack of justice that had gone on, whether he'd received an injustice or not, the main problem that this person was following, uh, facing was his greed. And he warns us as his disciples, those people that were there on the day and us who are still following him all these years later, to be on our guard against greed. And he says that life is more than just what you have and possess and can feel and taste and touch. And again, I think at this point most of us would agree with Jesus. Very few people preach the gospel of greed. A few years ago when there was a movie, Wall Street, and uh, the Michael Douglas character, Gordon Gecko said, greed is good. Most people watched that and could see that he was not the hero of that movie, that that attitude was not the best thing in life. Most of us agree that, God, that greed is not always good. But the reality of our lives is often very different from the words we say on our lips. And in the West, you cannot get away from it. We are such consumers. We are such materialists. We want the latest, the best, the fastest, the newest. And we know it will be outdated in a year, but we still want it. How many uh, devices or shoes or bags or cars have we got? Uh, I'm someone who doesn't particularly think I'm, I'm very materialistic, and yet I look at the clothes that I... I've got like 30 T-shirts. Why do I need 30 T-shirts? It's kind of... Well, so it's not greed, though. couldn't be greed. It's not greed. It's what we do. So Jesus then goes on to tell a parable about a certain rich man. And this rich man is a pretty wise character. This rich man is successful from a worldly point of view. He's a success, I would imagine, in most of our books. He's got good financial returns. He has forward planning, so he's wise. He's not just thinking about today, but thinking about the future. Uh, he's prudent, what we might call wise in that way. But God has a very different take on it. Because what we would call a success and prudent, he calls in verse 20, a fool. Because this man, after all his worldly success, isn't even going to get a chance to enjoy it. He's going to die that very night. And Jesus finishes in verse 21 saying, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. And we've got to recognise this as Christians. There's no problem enjoying things in this world as a Christian. Uh, this life is supposed to be enjoyed. We've got a loving, heavenly Father as creator who created things for us to enjoy. Christianity is not one of those religions where you're not to enjoy the body or the things around you. When you read through the creation account, it's very clear that God didn't just create things that were good functionally, but pleasing to the eye. Remember what it says about trees? It didn't just have good food to eat, but it was pleasing to the eye. We're supposed to enjoy things. But when we put them above the creator who's given them, when we're rich only for the here and now and the physical, and not to the creator who's bestowed all this upon us, it's wrong. And this is not a hard parable. Some of the parables are quite hard to work out exactly what the main message is. This is not one of those. 
the vulnerability of life and the absolute waste of pursuing material gains. That's what's at the heart of it. The vulnerability of life, you never know when you can go. And the absolute waste of pursuing only the physical material things in this life and not being generous to God. But let me uh, help and kind of try to help us feel the pinch a little bit more by that by looking at two mistakes that this guy in the parable makes in the hope that we won't follow in his footsteps. So two mistakes that he makes. And the first one is he focuses on himself instead of God. He focuses on himself instead of God. In fact, I think the guy in the parable is probably a picture of the guy who asks Jesus the original question in verse 13. Because he too, I think, is only concerned by himself, not God. Now you might think, well that's a harsh statement to make, Jay. We haven't really got a lot of information about this guy who asks the original question. Or uh, Why would you say that? Well, <clears throat> I'm not sure there's anything wrong with the question this guy asks. Where the Lord encourages us to take to him things that are, we're worried about things that we're concerned with, things that are causing us pain or distress. And the situation that this guy was in was painful and distressing and a concern, and we can go to the Lord with it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you're going through something like that, this parable should not be saying to you, how dare you ever have a problem with that, don't go to God with it. That's not the meaning of this parable. The Lord tells us to bring to him any worries or issues we're facing, and this was clearly an issue that this man was facing. But it's the timing that reveals this guy's heart and the, the nature of the problem. Uh, if you've got your Bible there, if you're only reading it here, you won't see it, but if you've got your Bible there and you read what's immediately going on before this, you will know that Jesus has been in the middle of teaching on some things which are universally and eternally true and important. He's been teaching on some subjects which are massive in terms of what they mean and their significance. He's been teaching on the truth that God knows all things, on God being the one who throws the body into hell. He's been speaking on the, the truth that Jesus stands up to speak on behalf of his people in the heavenly courts. He's been speaking on the unforgivable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. He's been teaching on these incredible, colossal truths that are crucial for everyone else. And so do you feel the gear shift as this guy in the middle of all this truth goes, excuse me, could you tell my brother to divide the inheritance between us? Do you see the, dif the difficulty? It's not so much the request, it's the timing that shows the problem, that shows where this man's heart is and how right Jesus is when he doesn't start talking about injustice and equity and those sorts of things, but he talks about greed. This guy is so wrapped up in himself and his personal circumstances, he's missing wonderful truths about God and incredible truths about the truth of reality for everyone else, the purpose of life. And as soon as we see it like that, we go, well, that's us. How many of us get so wrapped up in ourselves and our personal circumstances, we forget to think about God, we forget to think about eternity, we forget to think about what's good for everyone else, and we forget to think about the purpose of life. And you can see it with the guy in the parable, who I think is a picture of the guy who asked the original question. Look at the language that this guy uses in the parable. It's all I and my. Verse 16, Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. All I, all my. 
Even the you there is actually him. (laughs) Did you ever see that? No thought of God in the slightest. His stuff, his plans, his advice, his life. No acknowledgement of the one who owns everything. No thankfulness to the one who gifts all. No recognition that anything other than his own deeds and plans have any currency in anything that's happening. And isn't that the way so many people live today? No reference to God at all. Or just a cursory nod. That's the norm of people in this world. And you find that people only cry out to God when they want justice or help or support or strength but not in the midst of normal life. If things are going good, they're all good and they don't even think about it. That's such a slap in the face to the one who has given us everything, including his son. But we turn our backs and say whatever, and we make our plans, and we pat ourselves on the back when life goes well, and then we only turn to him when things are difficult, or we see everything from our perspective. We've got our thoughts, our plans, our goals, our hopes. We must not forget the Lord. It's him who's created us, him who's in charge of all things, him we owe everything to. And I think the actual issue that goes on here is one of the things that drives us deeper into ourselves. I don't know if this rings true for you, but it does for me. When an injustice has been done to me, even over foolish things, I find it so hard to think outside that. If an injustice has been done to me, even if it's something silly, like on the sports field, or playing a board game, or, and it rankles me and it stays with me and I think about it and the more I think on it the more outraged I am and the less I think of the other person are you listening, family members and the more it kind of gets at me and when an injustice happens we lose perspective even more quickly and even more radically and it becomes ourselves and our own circumstances become all consuming and all dominating and we're blind to it we're blind to it And then in comes justifications and reasons and legitimizations. But deep, deep down, there's a problem of where our heart is, what we're focused on, and getting priorities right. We always think it's justice. I'm just after what's fair. I'm just after what's reasonable. But even justice can, can spring from greed or can spring from wrong priorities. Our default position in life is to think about ourselves first. We're at the centre. And like the sun with the universe, everything else revolves around me and and my life. Friends, health as a Christian is putting Jesus at the centre. And us and our lives and everything else around him. And that only happens intentionally. It only happens when we do it deliberately. When you wake up in the morning, what you will first think of is yourself and your circumstances and your life and and you'll go out living that way. What we need to do is reorient ourselves to put Jesus at the beginning every day because we'll wake up and we'll automatically go back to our normal default position. It's why an older generation of Christians used to say, no Bible, no breakfast. They used to talk about, you've got to have your quiet time at the beginning of the day. No Bible, no breakfast. Because it helps you reorient yourself. And somewhere along the line, that became almost a rule. So you were sub-Christian if you didn't do a quiet time before. And that's not what it's about. But can you see the sense of what was behind it? Can you see the strength that was behind it? It, puts, it gets rid of our default position and puts God back at the centre. Each day, thinking of him, thanking him, working out his plans and how my life's in the light of that. Verse 21, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. 
Think about that phrase that Jesus says there. Very few of us ever think we're greedy, so perhaps let me reword the question from Jesus' words here. Are you rich towards God? Because if I say, are you greedy, you'll probably say, no, Joe, I'm not. Are you rich towards God? I'll let that sit there for a moment with you. Are you rich towards God? The God who knows our credit card statements and bank accounts, who knows our diaries and what we fill it with, who knows uh, what we do and our intentions. And this guy focused on self rather than God. Are we rich towards God? I pray that we would take a warning from him. So that was the first mistake. He focused on himself rather than on God. Second mistake, he focused on the present and the temporary rather than the the future and the eternal. He focused on the present and the temporary rather than the future and the eternal. The guy at the beginning is worried not about the eternal truths that Jesus has been speaking about, as I said, but about the inheritance that he hasn't got. The guy in the parable is worried about the abundance of his possessions. Elsa in Indiana Jones is worried about the Holy Grail. What are we worried about? What are you worried about at the beginning of 2019 as the year ahead unfolds before you? What are the things you're concerned about and worried about and passionate about? And remember, I say again, Christianity is not against beauty or physical things or material. They're to be enjoyed and rejoiced in, but it can easily and without detection become greed and all-consuming and an idol that we put before the Lord. Beware our heart. And we can do it with, it's not just physical things, we can do it with a career. We can do it with possessions. We can do it with relationships. When we put these things of, of temporary worth before the eternal things, If we live for the Lord and for the eternal, it will still hurt us when we're betrayed an inheritance, but we'll get over it much more quickly. It will still be devastating when stock markets crash, but we'll get over it much more quickly. It will still be difficult when we're broken into and things are stolen, but we'll be able to deal with it in a much more robust way. When we're living for the right things, the right priorities, it will help us cope with the difficulties here and now. And yet so much of us spend so much time and effort and focus on things that can be lost, stolen, rust, upgraded, break, or lose all worth when we die in the blink of an eye. This man would have been seen as successful in his day. He'd be seen as successful today. And yet, as I said before, the verdict bestowed upon him by the Lord was very different. Verse 20, you fool. You fool. What would you want as your epitaph on your tombstone? If you could come up with it. Martin Luther King Jr. has the epitaph on his tombstone, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Uh, Mel Blanc, the voice of Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig and Sylvester the Cat, has... Does anyone know what he's got as his epitaph? That's all, folks, because that was the the thing that was said at the end of the, the cartoons. If God was writing the epitaph of this guy, he would write, You fool. And I don't think he'd take any pleasure in that. But there's the reality. Spent his life on things that mean nothing eternally. What are you doing now that will have eternal value? What are you living for now that will have things echo out in eternity? What are the decisions you're making or the actions you're taking now that will have eternal significance? 
This man lived for things that would perish, or he would perish, and it all changed. And remember, failure can be successful in things that are unimportant. You can be very successful in things that actually eternally are not important because you've got the wrong focus and wrong priority. We leave it all behind, and we should be aware of that. There's only one treasure that lasts. There's only one prize that doesn't rust or get stolen or melt or break, and that's the Lord Jesus and the eternity that he's won for us. Everything else is fluff. Not meaningless fluff, not unimportant fluff, but it's fluff comparatively. But we struggle to keep it in perspective. We think of Elsa and Indiana Jones and think, well, how greedy and how foolish. What, how silly she was to do something like that. I would never do that. The guy in the parable did. You and I do. And certainly people around us do. Jesus is saying in this parable, this is, this is what we do. If you're a parent here this morning, for all the parents that are in this room, what do you most want to leave for your children? Is it property or possessions? Or is it the Lord Jesus? What do you most want to leave them? Therefore, is that seen in the actions you take and the decisions you make and the things that you do and don't do? Is that what's seen? Because it may be more important that you pray with your children at night than you work six extra hours on a job which provides more money. What do you want and where is it seen? We want to be working and living for the things that are permanently, eternally valuable. And living with that in mind deliberately. Sometimes we go through huge sacrifice and pain for things of temporary value and we neglect the time, prayer and activities for the eternal. But I'm not just talking about parents. It's for all of us to think about. And Because all of us should know that it will come to an end, this life. When you're young, unless you've been touched by death at an early stage, when you're young, you feel bulletproof. You feel unextinguishable. You feel untouchable and you live that way as if you'll always be strong, always be fit, always be healthy, it will always be ahead. Certainly that's how I I used to live. But then you age. Then the grey breaks in and the paunch appears and uh, things hurt a little bit more at the end of the day and the body packs up a little bit more and you realise how quickly life is over. You realise how temporary it is and yet still we live just for the here and now. Live knowing that it all will end and live for that which will last, which is the Lord Jesus. Uh, We've talked about possessions a lot today, but you can see this even in in physical things. A lot of people today are consumed by the body. It's all about what you eat and what you don't eat. It's all about gyms membership and all those kind of things. And there's nothing wrong with that. Again, Christians believe the body's important. It's good to think about what we eat and how we look after ourselves. But the body is perishable. And we're not thinking about the soul with that much passion. Does the soul consume our conversations in that way or our our, um, inspiration? Does the imperishable body that we will one day have in the new creation, does that take our attention and time? If it does, it will radically change the way we live now, the choices we make, the way we use our credit card and money, the perspective we have on the things that occur to us and the circumstances we go through. Everything we have is his anyway. Does our life reveal that? You may work a very important 50-hour-a-week job, and yet the most important thing you do may be teaching Sunday school for an hour on a Sunday, or saying prayers with your children, or meeting with a friend to read the Bible. And We've got to think about all those sorts of things. I'm not saying that work's unimportant. We were created to work. 
But what are we doing? What are we thinking about? The two guys in this passage are a warning for us. They both made the same two mistakes. They focused on self rather than God. They focused on the present and the temporary instead of the future and the eternal. Many of us today think, I would never make that mistake. Jesus seems to think we are in danger of it. I've thought of myself, I think he's right. I'll let you work out whether you think he's right with you. And unlike many dangers, the problem with this one is it's the heart, so we can't always see it in black and white. We can't always touch it with our fingers. And we can fool ourselves that it's not really a problem for us. We can always spot someone else who's way greedier than I am or way more materialistic than I am because they've got more cars or they've got a bigger house or they must have a bigger problem than I do and we let ourselves off the hook. Today would be a good day to remember the Lord who's been so good to us and to make sure that we are being generous to him and to make a fresh decision to be rich to him. Beginning of a new year is always a good chance to reflect to think back and look back and to think forward and and make some changes in life. That might be a good thing. To remember, uh, I'm going to live for the Lord, not just myself this year. And I'm going to live for things that are eternally, permanently valuable, not just the temporary and material. Today might be a good day to uh, make some changes in the budget and in the diary. Verse 15, Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Don't be like the two guys in the parable. Don't be like Elsa. Actually, I was thinking about Elsa. I want to redeem Elsa's character as I finish. Elsa was reaching for the cup of Jesus. This ruins the movie, so don't think this way. She was reaching for material possessions. But if she'd actually been reaching for Jesus with her other hand and was prepared to lose her life to hold on to Jesus then actually suddenly she's the hero of Indiana Jones. Yeah, I won't finish on that. (laughs) Let me pray. Father, I thank you for a challenge at the beginning of this year. And I pray that you would challenge us. Uh, Often with these sorts of things, it's very easy to to think of others and think, I hope so-and-so is listening to this. They could really buck themselves up in this kind of area. And yet often it's ourselves who need to hear it. Father, lay it upon our hearts And if there are things that we need to change in our lives, practical things, to be able to show our richness towards you who've given us so much and to live for the things that are eternally valuable and thankfulness to you and for the benefit of others, please help us see what they are and give us the strength to make those changes. Father, we thank you for your generosity in your son and we pray that we would more and more be holding on to him and living for him. And we ask this in his name. Amen.